Galatians chapter number 5, beginning in verse number 22. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. This is, um, I believe, the third crack we're getting on, in on the fruit of the Spirit. Um, but one of the interesting things about the fruit of the Spirit is that, that I, I just find it interesting is that so many people call themselves believers and say they're filled with the Spirit, say they're baptized in the Spirit, say they're walking in the Spirit, and they have the fruit of the Spirit, but they exhibit none of the qualities that are listed in this passage. In this passage, if you look at it beginning in verse number 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. And I'm going to stop right there and just say, you know, most of the time when you talk to a person who claims to be a man or a woman of God, most of the time they're going to exhibit some of the fruit of the Spirit, at least a little bit. But what's interesting is when you get around people who claim to know God, claim to be walking in the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, all these kinds of things, but they're hateful, they're prideful, they're full of vain thoughts, dirty-minded, causing other people to do things they shouldn't cause them to do, you know, uh, vengeful and spiteful, these kinds of things. It, it, it really, honestly, as believers, we should say, look, brother, look, sister, you're not exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, and I'm concerned for your soul. I'm concerned that you're going down a path you don't want to go down because the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is right here, and you're over here. That tells me that you're not right with God. I don't know what's going on, but it tells me you're not right with God. You, you know, Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 7, which we went there, he said that you, this is the way you know a false prophet, but he said, you shall know a tree by its fruit. You know a tree by its fruit, according to Matthew 7. So it doesn't matter what somebody says. I was baptized in the Holy Ghost, and I barked like a dog, and I fell on the floor don't you look at me like that. Hold on now. Being baptized in the Holy Ghost, but you don't have love, joy, peace. What's going on? You can say anything, but are the fruit of the Spirit present in your life? You can say, you can, you know what? A church can give you a certificate and say you're a man or a woman of God. A church can give you a certificate and say you're ordained to preach. Take a picture of you. Say, that's the time you got baptized in the Holy Ghost. But if these fruit of the Spirit aren't evident in your life, guess what? Guess what? There's a misfire somewhere. We used to fire firecrackers sometimes, and uh, we would get all mad whenever you got a dud. You know what a dud was? You light the fuse, and nothing happens. And you think, okay, should I go get it or not? Because if I approach it, it's probably going to explode. You don't know, but it's not doing nothing. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. This is what people who call themselves Christians but don't exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. You call yourself anything you want to call, but what kind of fruit's growing on the tree? Amen? We talk about uh, evidence of the Holy Spirit. Well, what kind of fruit's there? Well, what is the fruit that's being born? And so... In reading, it says love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentle. How many people do you know that claim to know God and walk with God that are gentle? Gentleness, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now, John Wesley, I love the way that he, he laid this out. He said that hatred was the overarching um, ingredient in the works of the flesh and that love is the overarching ingredient in the fruit of the spirit. I love how John Wesley said that. Love being the first, the first one that is spoken of here, but everything operates through love as we see in 1 Corinthians that you can have all kinds of prophetic and and you know, gifts of the Spirit going on. You can give all your things to the poor. You can do all these kinds of things, but if you have not love, it's nothing. Absolutely no value in it. 
If somebody claims to be of God, but they don't love, they're not of God. They can claim whatever they want to claim, but if they don't love the way God says to love, they're not of God. And that's just the plain, simple truth. And so, um, let me show you this before, before we get into it. Go to, go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, and then we're going to get back where we were the other night. 1 John chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 14. Now, this one may open some eyes. May open some eyes. Verse 14, we know, everybody say no. So this is something you can be certain of, okay? We know that we have passed from death unto life. Now, what he's talking about is salvation. We know we've, this is, this is in lieu of Romans chapter 6, where, that's, where it's talking about we're baptized into the death of Christ and raised to new life in Christ. Same thing as Galatians 2 and verse 20. This, we, we know, so some, you know what? Somebody can say they're born again, but how do you know? Well, well, John says here, we know we've passed from death to life. We know someone's gone from, you know, their old life to their new life by this. Is it because they speak in tongues? Is it because they do jumping jacks in church? Is it because they got a certificate from our church? Is it because they memorized the first, you know, five books of the Bible? What is it? What is it? How do we know they passed from death to life? Look what it says in verse number 14. Pass from death to life because we love the brethren, period. Wow. You know who the brethren are? Believers in Jesus Christ. Regardless of color, regardless of location, regardless of political affiliation, regardless of gender, regardless of age, regardless of none of that, regardless of their past. They could have been a murderer. They could have been a rapist. They could have been a thief. They could have been anything. But if they believe on Jesus Christ, their past is gone in Jesus' name. We shouldn't be bringing stuff back down from the cross that's already been nailed to the cross and putting it on people's heads. If they've laid it at the feet of Jesus, we have no, we should have no issues and what it says is that we love the brethren. This means that there's, when somebody's born again, there is a deep affection for the believer. It, it, it defies the world when the church has love amongst its people. This is one of the things that I've said so much about, you know, our cities in America. And right now, politically, we're being charged to fight against um, races. It, it's just like a racial uh, revolution coming the wrong way. I mean, things, it seemed like we're getting better and now it's getting worse. And, and it's not only racial division that's taken on, it's division of every kind. People are getting offended about everything and fighting everything right now. But the church, if we're truly the church and the light is truly shining in the church, then we should be broadcasting what God's doing, regardless of where we come from, regardless of what we look like, talk like, regardless of any of that, we have a common thing among us, and that is that we all have our sins paid for and that we're all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's an amazing thing when people from different backgrounds and different uh, ethnicities and different things like this can get together because we're born of God. Because we're born of God. And that's how the Bible tells us right here, this is how you know you're saved. You know you're saved when you love somebody you don't even know. You know that some people, you know, um, it doesn't matter who it is, if they come into a church, they feel threatened. They're going to take my job. They're going to take, you know, this. They're going to take that, and they undercut people. They, they don't want them to, you know, go further in the Lord because they want to be the one that goes further in the Lord. That's not love. 
that's not love. There's a problem right there that's got to get dealt with. The way we know we pass from death to life is when we love the brethren. When we want to see other people prosper in God. When we're willing to lay down our lives. When we're willing to let them receive accolades and us nothing. When we're willing to lay down our lives that others may have. See, the world's love is different. The world's love is give me. If you love me, you'll give me. If you love me, you'll give me this. If you love me, you'll do this. If you love me, you'll do this. But God never said that when he said he loved you. God said, I love you and I'm going to show you because I'm going to lay down my life for you. Love gives. The world's love takes. If you love me, you'll never do that again. God didn't play those games. God loved and he gave. He gave the only begotten son, right? He gave the most precious gift in all the universe. He gave that which you're going to sing to for all of eternity. He gave that which whose glory is going to illuminate brighter than the sun. That's what he gave because he loved. He didn't say, if you love me, you'll do this. He said, I love you Here's the best. And as a church, if we can get into this kind of a mindset, we can can overtake what the world is doing right now. With this racism thing, fragmentation. It's, It's just like the spirit of Satan is trying to fragment America right now. Not only America, all over. It's happening everywhere right now. South Africa, they're having a major racial revolution right now. Bad one. It's going on everywhere. It's the spirit of the world right now. But the church can lead the charge in this area. Amen? Because I want you to know something. You know, I don't believe in races. I believe in the human race. I believe in the human race. We're all from Adam. We're all from Adam. And, and there's no, you know, racism, is, I mean, the word race comes from Darwin. It, it's, it's, it's sickening where that comes from. And, and you know, you guys that have been here, y'all know I've been down this road a lot, but, you know, this is why the abortion industry is so big in America. It's, it was born out of racism. It was born out of racism. It was white supremacists that started it. And, you know, they didn't want other races, and that's why they started it, and they strategically put those places in, in poor neighborhoods where, you know, people of color were. They did that on purpose. It was designed to do what it's doing right now. Right now, more, uh, more African-American children are, are being killed by abortion in New York than being born. And that was the design. That was the design. And it's bred from the pit of hell. It's bred from the pit of hell. And, and, and so this whole thing about racism, this is something I believe the church has got to take the charge on. The church has got to take the charge on this. If the church doesn't take the charge on this, we are laying down and letting the enemy run roughshod over people. But we know we've passed from death to life when we love the brethren, regardless of their age or whether they're rich or poor. Remember what James said? Isn't that what religion is? When you take care of the the fatherless and the widows. When you look on those that, that, that society looks over. This is what the church is called to do. When you look on those that society looks over, you go to the forgotten person. You go to the person nobody talks to. I was sharing last time. You know, when, when you walk in a room, if the love of God is in you, number one, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to scan the room and you're going to look for who nobody else is talking to, and that's who you're going to go minister to. That's God's love working in you. It, it's not in clicks. And that's, you know, if you go into, and I'm not picking on a lot of churches, but if you go into a lot of places, a lot of churches, it's all like that. It's this group and that group and this group and that group. But when you see the love of God in operation, it's when you're going to the downtrodden. Look who Jesus ministered to. 
Look who he showed grace to. He showed grace to those that were broken, to the blind, to the lame, to the leper. He showed grace to the thief, to the tax collector. He showed grace to the adulterer. He showed grace to the woman caught in adultery. He showed grace to these people that society was getting rid of. That's who he ministered to. And look who he was tough on. He was tough on the religious folks because they weren't getting it. They didn't do it right. They should, have been on the, they should have been out there on the outskirts of town ministering to the wounds of those that were neglected. They should have been out there laying down their lives, but they weren't because they weren't right with God. They weren't exhibiting this fruit called love. So this first fruit of the Spirit called love is more than we could ever imagine. I've told you before, I, you know, you could probably count on, on, on both hands how many sermons you've heard about the love of God and probably even the glory of God. But is there any better topic? So anyways, we know we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. Now let's, look, let's finish this verse and then we're gonna, we got to get somewhere. It says, he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Abideth in the old life, in the old man, in the carnal part of life. Yeah, you know, we shouldn't hate somebody based on anything. We should hate what God hates. But God loves people. God hates wickedness, but God loves people. Right? So we should hate what God hates. God hates it when people are neglected. Doesn't he? Does he hate the neglected person? Does he hate it when people neglect people? So we should hate what God hates. Right? Okay, now look, the, the first fruit of the Spirit that we've been talking about is love. Now, I want to pick this back up in, in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let's go over there and look. But I, I wanted to lay that groundwork because... Um, so you know how important love is. Sometimes we need to hear this multiple times because, you know, we wake up the next day and it's a whole different world. Amen? How many of y'all wake up in a different world every day? <laughs> Did you have a... Yeah, yes, the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, we love you too, Tiffany. We're so glad you're here. That is... And that's exactly, that's what we're supposed to do as a church. That's what we're supposed to do. Huh? What's that? That's fruit. <laughs> that's fruit. You know, we, you, you can make boastful claims, but if there's no fruit on the tree, you know? And, and, and the thing about this is, this is fundamental. If you don't have this, it's... God doesn't say, you know, you've passed from death to life because of what you know, which is what people think. He says, we, we, we know we've gone from death to life because we love the brethren. Because you love, that's how you know. And so, you know, we individually, every single one of us has stuff we've got to do. Your flesh, when, when, when the good Samaritan came up on this guy that was laid up, left for dead, when the good Samaritan came up upon him, he had somewhere to go. He was going somewhere. But what separated him from those other two guys, the other two religious guys, is he was willing to stop and minister out of love. And don't ever get too busy for somebody. Oh, <laughs> that's sweet. That's sweet. It does. It makes a difference. And, you know, people, you, you can tell. Whenever me and Lindsay first visited here, that was one thing that spoke to our heart is because people here were welcoming. They loved. It was genuine. It, was, it wasn't fake. You know, other, you know, I would rather have real folks with a genuine love than laser lights and smoke machines and, and you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And, and, and not to say that stuff's of the devil, but I would rather have a real thing. 
that's what drew our hearts here after we visited. It just, you know, those connections, just like you said, it, it, it just, it, it ministers. You can feel it. That's right. You can. You can. And, and the, the awesome thing is, is it makes you feel like you're a part. It makes you feel like you belong somewhere. You know, you belong somewhere. So what, what we're looking at is um, something that is fundamental, but it's not taught that much, right? It's not taught that much. It's really not. That we should take time, just like this good Samaritan, he had somewhere to go, but look, let's, let's be like him, be willing to be inconvenienced. Be willing to be inconvenienced. You know, there's times when, um, and, and, you know, just to kind of show a story, but you know, and you guys that have children, you can relate to this, but you know when you've been down a road so many times and you tell somebody something for the 10th time and you're like, <sighs> right? You're at that point where you're like, do I have to do this again, right? But then you look in their eyes and you see something there and then immediately all the, do I have to do this again, just vanishes, and you're ready to do it another 20 times when you see that in their eyes. That's love, right? You see, that's how it is. And that's how we as believers should be when we see somebody being neglected, somebody being hurt, abandoned. When we see somebody afflicted, we should be willing to stop and, and, and look at them in the eyes and show the love and compassion on them that God's given to us. Amen, because I promise you, somebody at some point in time took a few moments to spend with you and lead you to the Lord. Somebody, some point in time, did something, even if it was just inviting you to church or telling you the gospel story or something, somebody, or prayed with you or sat with you when, you know, through the loss of a loved one or counseled you in a hard time. Somebody at some time showed you love. Amen. And that's how we should be with others. We, you know, this is something that I'm going to be sharing with the church, you know, upcoming that God's just stirring in my heart. But God, you know, he told us to go and make disciples. You know how you make disciples? Spend time with them. You know what we do as the church? We go and try to get decisions. One decision, two decision, three decision, four decision, five decision. But what did Jesus say? Go and make disciples. What does that mean? Go spend time with them. Spend time with them. Train them. Go back. Teach them. Go back. Love on them. Go back. This is called building disciples. That's what we've been called to do. That's love. That costs you something. That costs you something. It costs you being inconvenienced. And if you love somebody, you'll be willing to be inconvenienced. Just like I said, I, 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 I can't tell you how many times this happens. To, I won't tell you which kid it is. But I can't tell you how many times this happens. I'll, you know, for the, you know, 50th time, you know, I've asked you to do, don't do it like this, do it like this. And, and, and I look in that child's eyes and that love, I just see and it just, it all goes away. And then I'll just get down on the floor and I'll okay, let me show you one more time. Right? What is that? What changed? What changed? My heart was awakened. My heart was awakened when I looked in those eyes, right? That's how it should be for a believer. When you see somebody who's afflicted, when you see somebody not walking right with God, when you see somebody hurt, abandoned, when you see somebody going through tragedy or hardship, that's how we should be, amen? Not telling them, you know, come on, get up. Come on, get up. We should be willing to get down in the, in the trench with them, amen? So, and, and, and one other thing while I'm on this topic. You know, Job's friends, whenever Job was going through hardship, Job's friend, they came, they came, right? But they didn't really help too much. You know what would have been better for Job's friends to do? To sit with them quietly. Sometimes you just need somebody to sit with you. You know, sometimes you may not have the words to fix the situation. None of those friends could have given him any wisdom right then. 
Because what was happening to Job was unprecedented. I still don't think there's been there hasn't been subsequent for it. What happened to Job is unprecedented. They, they couldn't give him any wisdom. So it was presumptuous for them to try to help him out. Sometimes we need to, we need to understand that there's comfort of being there. There's comfort of being there for somebody. Just putting your arm around them, sitting, having coffee, saying, look, you don't have to talk about it. I'm just here for you. If you don't want to talk about it, we don't have to talk about it. Or we can, but I'm just here for you. I'm here with you. Amen? You know that means so much? That means, you know what that tells somebody? It tells somebody that you love them because you're willing to be inconvenienced for them. And I've told somebody else this, you know, too. If somebody loves you, don't worry about them being inconvenienced because if they love you, it won't matter. Amen? It'd be like, this illustration I'm using about, you know, one of my children. I'm having to get down on the floor for the, you know, 60th time to show them how to do something again. They don't have to thank me for doing it. They don't have to tell me they're sorry for inconveniencing me because I'm doing it out of love. If I'm not doing it out of love, yes, you're going to have to pat me on the back. Yes, you're going to have to, you know, do all those things if I'm not doing it out of love. But if I'm doing it for them out of love, you don't have to tell me nothing. In fact, you're not going to stop me from doing it. Amen? So it's, it's and, and that always changes, at least for me. Maybe I'm just a little hard-headed, but it always changes for me when I look in those eyes and I see that face, you know? It just changes everything. I say, oh, it's my child, right? Well, when we as believers look on other believers, we should say, oh, it's my brother. Oh, it's my sister. I'm going to be there for them. I'm going to be there for them. And you, and come on, you, we can be selfish. Well, nobody was there for me. Well, wasn't that hard then? Do you want somebody else to suffer? Come on, let's love. Maybe you didn't have it great. Why do they have to not have it great too? Why can't you bestow love on them? Amen? So anyways, what, what you see is this, this gauntlet that was thrown down from the apostle John says, we, we, we know we pass from death to life. So it, it really kind of, you know, it, it, it really kind of nuclearizes what Paul says here in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, which is, you know, when he talks about, you know, you can, you can talk with, you know, tongues of angels, you can say all these things, you can prophesy, you can give all your stuff to the poor, but if you have not love, you got nothing. You got nothing. And so John nuclearizes it by saying, you know what, if you don't have love, you haven't even gone from death to life. If you're too busy for everybody all the time, can you really say you've passed from death to life? If you can't be inconvenienced to call somebody, to spend time with them, to go see them, if you can't be, if you're too busy to do those things, can you really say that you've gone from death to life? Or, you know, if you're too busy going down your lane that you can't be bothered, can you really say you've gone from death to life? Well, you know, because look, what I'm preaching to you right now is challenging, and I want to tell you why it's challenging. Because it's, it's challenging because this is not just, you know, it's, it's you know, uh, from 7 to 8 p.m. is when church is. Because what, what I'm teaching you tonight is 24 hours a day. This is not, you know, you, the sum of your Christian life is when you go to church and then you go back home and you get back in your normal routine. This is normal routine. Normal routine is turned upside down. This is this changes everything when you begin to walk in love, and this is how we know that we're saved. This is amazing. This is amazing. It's very challenging, very convicting, and and we should, with eyes of compassion, begin to look afresh. And if you don't have those eyes of compassion, ask the Lord. Ask the Lord to show you. When was the, let's, 
When was the last time we prayed and said, Father, open my eyes to see somebody hurting today so I can love on them? You've loved me. Open my eyes to see someone that needs love. When was the last time we prayed something that's, I don't know what to pray. I don't know. That's a very simple prayer. You know why we don't pray it? Because it's going to cost us. Because we're going to have to go visit somebody that recently lost a loved one. We're going to have to go visit somebody that's going through a job loss. We're going to have to go visit somebody that's sick in the hospital. We're going to have to go do things that are uncomfortable and inconvenience us, right? But that's what we've been called to do. That's what makes us the church, not clocking in when you come to church. It's important. Believe me. I'll, and I've got a sermon on that coming up too, the importance of the church. But what makes us the church is that we love one another. We love the brethren. If, you know, I, I could uh, develop a strategy and say, okay, every, every church member has a number, and, you know, if this, if this person doesn't come on this Sunday, you go over there and you love on them. What is that? That's just a church rule. But what is it when you wake up in the morning and you say, God, show me somebody that needs love today? Let's start out in baby steps. Show me somebody this week. This week, one person, Lord, and I'll love on them. I'll ask them to go have coffee. I'll ask them to come over and sit. I'll go see them. Show me one person this week. Let's start in baby steps. What would happen? We're being moved by the Spirit. You're going to see so many changes because you're beginning to walk in the Spirit. First one is love, love. And that's how we know we've passed from death to life. It, you know, how do we know we pass from death to life? Because we have great church services. It's not what it said. We do backflips. We don't just jump over pews. We do backflips over them. We got drums, tambourines. We got this. We got, you know, that's not how you know that you're saved. That's not how you know a church has got it. You know a church has got it when the people love one another. 1 John 3, 14, very challenging passage. Very challenging passage. And Luke, don't, don't play this I love them from a distance stuff. You know? I love them from a distance stuff. I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. This, this kind of ties into uh, what's called apathy. Y'all know what apathy is? Uh, no passion, no feelings, cold. Apathy. A, a, a woman is being mugged in, a, in an alley. Guy walks by, looks down there, sees him, keeps on going. Says, I hope she makes it. That's not love. That's not love. It's not love. Um, it's apathy is what it is. And apathy is what's eating the heart of the church away. Apathy is what's eating the heart of the church away. When we can see somebody neglected, afflicted, downtrodden, without a job, without a home, without a family, when we can see somebody with, you know, uh, poor health, recent loss of a loved one, loss of a job, whatever it may be, when we can look at that and keep walking by, that's apathy. Apathy. The, the root word for it in, in, in the Latin is, um, you know, apart from feeling, apart from passion. It's apart from passion. It means there is no passion in there. There's no, there's, you know, um, it's like in, 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 um, in battle, um, you know, the uh, uh, rock kasak, you know, that Israel used to shout whenever they would go to war. Rock kasak. It's this like spiritual gumption, you know. You kind of get yourself excited. You, you, you see the adversary and you go, I'm going to get him, you know. That, that's a passion that rises up. 
And that's how the church should be, uh, you know, in loving one another. When you see somebody downtrodden that you don't just pass them by, you go, we're going to get them. We're going to help them out. We're going to love on them. Why? Because they're God's child. They're my brother. They're my sister. I'm not willing to let them just be there by themselves. If they're afflicted and I can't help them, at least I'm going to sit with them and let them know you're not going to go through this alone. You might have to go through it, but you're not going to do it alone because I love you and I'm next to you. You know, it means the world. It means the world to folks. There's times in my life when, when things have happened and my world's come unraveled and, and people have come to me and told me all kinds of stuff. It was just, you know, like that woman on Peanuts, the teacher, you know, wah, 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 wah. But there was other people that didn't say a word that came and stood by me. They didn't have to say anything because they weren't, they didn't, there was nothing to fix. Just needed somebody to walk through the valley with me. And because of love, they did. And it was amazing. There's other times when nobody came by my side and I had to walk through that valley alone, but Jesus was with me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. So if the church is falling down on the job, Jesus ain't. But as the church, we should pick one another up, lift one another up, and, and look for those that are hurting. Look for those that are downtrodden. Amen? Look for those that society has overlooked. Society's overlooked. And you can, you, can, you can let your mind run wild with this right now. But loving the brethren is a hallmark of a believer. Now, here we go in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. And, and where we stopped at is in verse number 5. We stopped in verse number 5. So let's just read verse 4. And by the time we're done, we're going to end with the the beginning of verse number eight. It says in verse four, charity. Charity is actually what love is. So if you're wondering, um, I recommend for a dictionary, uh, Webster's 1828, okay? But if you look up love in there, the quality of love is that you show charity towards others. Charity. Kindness towards others. That's what love is. Love's not demanding. Love's not demanding. Love is not self-seeking. Love's not trying to get something from you. That's not love. That's not love. You know, if, if you've ever been in one of those situations where somebody says, if you love me, you'll do this, that's not love. Love is not self-seeking. Love lays down its life for others. But Charity is the kindness of others. So love is focused on others, not self. If you just think about this, charity is when you do something to other people, right? Charity is when you do something to other people. Charity is the quality of love. It is charity and kindness. So love is going out, not coming in. So when the world says, if you love me, you'll do this, they're going the opposite way of love because love says, I love you, therefore here. I love you, here's my time. I love you, here's some money. I love you, here's some coffee. I love you, here's whatever. I love you, here I am. Love gives, not takes. So if somebody tries to manipulate you in this way, they're going to say, if you love me, you'll give me. That's indicator. They're, they're, they're from the world. From the world. Either they're from the world or they're still a carnal Christian. <laughs> right? Because love doesn't take. Love gives. Love gives. tell you what look at this it says charity suffereth long and is kind 
Now, if and, and remember last time I told you that all nine fruit of the Spirit correspond to one of these things in here, all nine of them. Uh, charity suffers long, is kind, charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, or if you were here last week, uncouth, uncouth, does not behave itself uncouth, um, seeketh not her own. That's, it's not selfish, what I was just talking about. It's not, it's not about what you can do for me. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. And last one here in verse 5, it thinketh no evil. And this is where we stopped. Love disregards every evil report. Love disregards every evil report. Love does not want to hear uh, those, th those bad things. It says it thinketh no evil. Um, in other words, when um, love is not just what you do, it's also in your mind. It thinks no evil. So um, one of the things that I remember whenever I was younger, uh, way younger, some of the older people in the church, they pulled the young men and they told them, you know, um, talking about girls, they said, you can look, but don't touch. You can enjoy, but just don't touch. That's wrong. Because you're, you know, Jesus said, if you lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. You've committed adultery in your heart. And so what you see is um, a lot of times people think that they can divide their thoughts from their actions. I can hate you, but open the door for you. Come on. I can talk bad about you behind your back, but when you're in front of me, I'll smile. See, love doesn't even think evil. If there's evil thoughts going on, love repents. If there's evil thoughts going on, love repents. So if we've got evil thoughts towards somebody, whether it's, you know, uh, stealing, taking what's theirs, or tearing down their character, or, you know, lust, or envy, whatever it may be, hatred, those, those evil thoughts in our minds, if we don't watch out, those things will get down into our hearts, and from there, they will corrupt our very nature. We've got to be very careful with our thoughts. When, when those thoughts come in, we've got to take, as the Word says, we've got to take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. The, the way that you do that is when you get an evil thought come in your head and don't act like you don't because you're human. When you get an evil thought come in your head, you reject it. You say, God, I didn't think that from my heart. I reject that. I know it's against your will. I know it's against your word, and I know it breaks your heart, and I reject that thought in the name of Jesus Christ. I don't want it in my life, and I, I ask you to cleanse me from it in Jesus' name. That's how you take captive those evil thoughts to the obedience of Christ. If that thought is, you know, there's a bass boat, I'm going to go steal it, you take that thought captive, and you say, God, that's an evil thought. I repent of it. It didn't come from me. I'm sorry. I, I reject it. You know, you take that thing captive. You don't let it harbor. You don't let it sit there because it will corrupt you. The more you think on it, you'll eventually act on it. You don't allow those thoughts to sit there because it will corrupt even the best intentioned heart. You can have the best intentions in the world, but if you allow evil thoughts to remain in your mind, it will corrupt your nature. It, 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 it'll spill out. It'll spill out. And you'll be, as Jesus told those Pharisees, whitewashed sepulchers. You'll be clean on the outside, but vile full of dead bones on the inside. Because you've allowed evil thoughts. And don't, don't, don't get all down. Look, everybody battles evil thoughts. The thing is, you can't change yesterday. Today, take those thoughts that are against God. Take them captive today. Reject them. Put them under the blood of Jesus Christ. And from this point forward, move on. 
Move on. That's how you go forward in Christ. That's how you go forward. That's how you don't go backwards. You want to, you know, you want to stop having those evil thoughts. You've got to start taking them captive. Nobody else can do it for you. Nobody else can do it for you. You've got to do it. Nobody else can crawl in between your ears. Not even Jiminy Cricket. You've got to take authority over those thoughts. And, the, and, and, and here's one of the main problems in this area is because most people, which, you know, most people don't know right from wrong anymore. Amen? Most people don't know right from wrong anymore. But the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost will strike your conscience and you'll know when you hit an evil thought. Once, especially when something's preached or, or taught like this, the Holy Spirit will, will apply it. But the Holy Spirit will tell you, nah, he'll bear witness with your conscience. And he'll tell you. You know, he, that was one of his things. That's one of his things. That he would come and bear witness of the truth and he would convict of sin. When we start thinking sinful thoughts, the Holy Spirit will bring conviction. Amen? As long as our conscience isn't seared. So what you see is there's, there, it is incumbent upon us as believers to monitor what's going on in between our ears and in our hearts. Amen? It's incumbent upon us. If, 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 if you don't care and don't do anything about it, you're not going to prosper in the Lord. You're not going to be able to walk in the Spirit. Is, you know, we're going to get there once we get through the fruit of the Spirit. But, if, you know, if we live in the Spirit, if you're born again, if you've gone from death to life, it says let us walk in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, let's walk in it. You're not going to be able to walk in the Spirit if you don't contend against the flesh, if you don't contend against the enemy. Amen? So, it thinketh no evil. Charity or love thinketh no evil. Let's get into verse number six. We'll just crack open verse number six a little bit, and then we'll wind it down. But verse number six says, love or charity rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love rejoices not in iniquity. Now, before I go into this, before I go into this, let me, I, I got to take you to Romans 5. Hold your place there. I'm coming back to it. Let me show you something in Romans 5. Probably one of the most overlooked passages in the New Testament. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. It says in Romans 5, 5, it says, Hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Are you born again? Then the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart. You can't be born again and not have the love of God in you. Say that again. You cannot be born again of the Spirit and not have the love of God in your heart. Amen. It's in there if you're born again. It's in there if you're born again. Now, with that said, now it's challenging as to whether you're going to walk in it or not. If you're born again, the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart. When you receive Jesus Christ, you receive the love of God in your heart, in your heart. Now, when it says that love or charity rejoices not in iniquity, that means you have no pleasure in wrongdoing. None. You don't laugh when other people curse. You don't take joy when other people cause damage you don't rejoice in wrongdoing when somebody trips and falls or somebody tripped them and they fail 
you don't rejoice in wrongdoing. You don't rejoice in things that are sinful. You don't take pleasure in other people's pain. You don't take pleasure in things that God hates. You don't take pleasure in rebellion, witchcraft, pornography, adultery, covetousness, drinking, drunkardness, lewd behavior, partying. You don't take pleasure in those things because God hates those things. And the love of God in you convicts you and tells you that. The love of God, it, it rejoices not in those things. So if those things cause joy in you, go back to your prayer closet and ask God for help. If those things cause joy in you, say, God, I've been walking in my flesh. My flesh is beginning to take joy over things you hate. This is not right, God. I need you to cleanse me of this iniquity. I'm sorry for it. Just like it says in 1 John, if, if we confess if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. But you've got to go to him and confess. And if you do, he'll cleanse you. He'll forgive you. So we've got, to, we've got work to do. We've got work to do if there's rejoicing going on when there's wrongdoing going on. If you see something you're not supposed to see, whoa, you do something you're not supposed to do, whoa, you go somewhere you're not supposed to go, whoa, that rejoice, that joy that rises up, that excitement in the flesh, that we've got to contend against that. We've got to contend against that. We should take no joy whatsoever in any kind of wrongdoing. How do we know what's right and wrong? If it goes against God. If it goes against God, if it goes against something God hates, if it goes against God, I mean, if it is something God hates, that's how we know it's wrong. That's how we know it's wrong. Amen? All right, we're going to stop. We're going to wind it down right there. But um, does somebody want to add in? I know I went kind of fast. I kind of got caught up there for a minute. But does uh, somebody want to add in any comment? Because we talked about, love not rejoicing, but also about, you know, the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts, love of the brethren, and somebody want to add a comment? Yeah, it's the spirit bearing witness. That's a very good illustration that she gave. Very good illustration. And, and the third person would be the spirit. You know, when two believers get in a room. You know, actually, I had a experience like that. Um, um, which this it just really blew this guy away. But I, I was a supervisor running uh, jobs in New Orleans, and um, this guy moved in from Nebraska, and my boss gave me, you know, he said, this guy's going to call you, and you need to tell him where to go, get him an apartment, you know, help him out, get him all set up. Okay. So this guy calls, and um, he's, you know, wanting to find out where he can get an apartment at, and so I was going to help him. Well, we're talking on the phone, and I'm just, you know, talking to him, talking to him, talking to him. And we just, you know, it's at one point, it was just the, 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 the spirit was just, it was like glowing. I mean, spirit was just bearing witness with me. I just stopped, and I said, his name was Kevin. I said, Kevin, you're a believer, aren't you? And he said, how did you know that? How did you know that? And I said, spirit, I, you know, just the spirit bearing witness is the third party. Was We weren't in the same room. We were on the same phone call. But it was just that spirit bearing witness, and that's exactly right. The spirit will bear witness with us when, you know, you get two believers in a room. It's a very good illustration. Very good illustration. 